Welcome to the Chicago Business Review, where we introduce you to some of the most successful and sharpest minds from my hometown, Chicago, so that you can find out the secrets that have helped these professionals achieve massive success. If you want to accelerate your growth in your personal and professional life so that you can do more, have more, give more, and ultimately live the life you've always desired, then sit back and stay tuned in because you are in the right place. I'm your host, Young Lee, and you are listening to the Chicago Business Review. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Chicago Business Review. I am Young Lee. I am your host, and I am so excited to bring on today's guest. He is an amazing entrepreneur at the age of 24. Rohan Gupta is the CEO and co-founder of Quillbot, a cutting-edge NLP startup with millions of users. He holds a bachelor's in finance from the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and has a master's degree in computer science from U of I in Champaign-Urbana as well. He is passionate about technology, philosophy, and most importantly, changing the world. Quillbot recently raised $4.25 million in seed money earlier this year from venture capitalists that believe in their mission. So I am so excited to bring on Rohan so that he could tell us a little bit more about their journey and what they are doing. So please welcome Rohan to the podcast. Hey, Rohan, how are you? Hey, Young. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so glad to have you on, man. I wish uh, we were recording some of the other conversations that we had previously. They were so insightful. I was so excited, but uh, I'm so glad we're able to have you on right now um, because you're doing such amazing things. I am also a U of I grad, ILL, so, uh, but uh, yes, I and I, I love it. Uh, But yeah, you, you had just graduated, you got your master's from U of I, and now you started this company, Quillbot. Could you give us a little bit more information about the company and what you guys are doing and what your mission is? Yeah, so our mission is basically to make writing famous, and uh, we do that by leveraging AI to sit with users every step of uh, every step of the way while they're writing. Uh, so our main product right now is our paraphraser. Basically, it just takes any content that you give and rewrites it to be more fluent. Uh, really a step up from grammar correction technology, but we've seen that, you know, it's just really changed the writing workflow for millions of people, saves them a ton of time, particularly ESL people, non-native speakers, you know, who uh, sometimes struggle to uh, put together fluent sentences and just traditional grammar correction technology just does not cut it. Yeah, I can't even imagine how beneficial that's got to be for students and especially uh, people that are coming to study from abroad and things of that nature. But how would you say that your product also helps out maybe not only just students, but people in the business world or in other fields and industries? 
yeah, I mean, it really just elevates uh, their writing to a new level so they can communicate their thoughts clearly and concisely. Uh, but beyond that, you know, uh, anyone really focused on long-form writing, our goal is to cut down on the pain, you know, it takes to actually produce like two to three pages of content. Uh, our, our goal is to bring AI into the process uh, when users begin researching content, digesting that content, actually constructing their arguments and, and drafting their first draft, ultimately to you know, generating sentences uh, for them so they can, you know, iterate on them and, uh, you know, pump out work much faster, clearer, and uh, of better quality. That's incredible, man. So how did it kind of come about? How did it get started? Are you a great writer? Were you interested in writing? Or I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious as to the origin story of the company. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the joke is that uh, none of the founders were good writers, so we built a robot to write for us. <laughs> Smart, yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it really is sort of a stereotypical startup story. You know, um, me and my co-founder were both at school. Uh, you know, my co-founder came to me and he was like, uh, the early version of, of uh, this paraphrasing technology just seemed to be much better than everything else out there in the market. And, you know, basically, um, we just built out an MVP, like very scrappy, uh, like a single web page and threw it up on Reddit and it just started getting a ton of traction. And then, you know, before you, uh, before we knew it, we had a million users and, uh, yeah, we started. A million users. Wow. That's incredible, man. A million users right off the bat like that. That's amazing. Now, you were at U of I, um, and you're still really young. You're 24, which is incredible. And you guys have started this company. But what made you decide to become an entrepreneur versus going the traditional route? I mean, you had great majors and you went to a great university, like what kind of drove you to start the company versus maybe working and getting a traditional job like most people? Um, yeah, I, I think I was always pretty creative and I liked building things that people were using. Um, so I, I really wanted to be connected to my work and connected to the end users of my work as well. Um, and on top of that, I was very uh, multidisciplinary too. I, I loved like many different things, like economics, like graphic design, uh, programming, AI, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. And so, uh, entrepreneurship for me was just, uh, you know, naturally connecting all of the different areas I was interested in. You know, it, it allowed me to just build things that people use too. So. Um, I, it came very naturally to me. I knew uh, in school I wanted to uh, work on a startup or build my own startup um, since freshman year, honestly. Wow. So you knew from early on that uh, that this is something you wanted to do and you had a goal and you worked at it and you've achieved such great success in such a short period of time. And I know you guys are going to continue to do amazing things. So how is life different now versus when you first started it up, I guess? Yeah, it, it's uh, very different, very different. It's actually uh, pretty interesting. Every different, uh, every phase of the startup is um, just qualitatively uh, a game changer, you know? So so at this point we have 25 heads. Uh, my day-to-day -day has changed uh, 
two more high-leveling strategy early on. It was a lot of grinding, you know, uh, actually implementing, doing a lot of guerrilla marketing, doing a lot of uh, programming and a lot of research. Um, now I have to think about, like, allocation of budget and, like, are we hiring um, uh, enough people, the right people, um, you know, uh, think about the product roadmap and where we're going to be, you know, two years from now instead of uh, earlier on. I was just thinking month to month, you know. Uh -huh. uh, and, and yeah, we have investors and a board now too. So it's uh, just interesting. Like that whole dynamic has shifted a lot um, and many more stakeholders. So. Wow. I That is such amazing responsibility. And it happened so rapidly. Like, how do you feel like you've uh, grown into the role? Like, what have you done? Or uh, are there people that mentor you? Or like, I, I, I would imagine that's a challenging shift in such a short period of time. So, Yeah, no, it, it, um, it was challenging. It was, I think, very healthy. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through a similar journey. Um, you know, mentors are excellent and, and they provide a lot of guidance on soft skills and um, the strategy. And I, I'm lucky to have some excellent investors as well who've been able to mentor and coach me uh, at, at, as the team has grown pretty quickly. Also, it, uh, you know, we, we were able to hire some very mature uh, uh, individuals in leadership positions within our organization. And they just bring in best practices from you know other really great organizations that they've worked for, like IBM and, and uh, you know uh, RX Bar and places like that. And and um, it, it allowed me to you know learn from what uh, other great companies have done. Wow, that's that's a, that's amazing. So you have twenty five people now working um, at Quillbot, which is incredible growth. Uh, what does your typical days now look like? Like, what are you guys trying to do or work on? And particularly you, what are you um, doing day to day? So, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, try to talk to everyone in the organization um, and really think about uh, be a thought partner with them and and uh, help them strategically. Uh, I, I spend a ton of time on product, particularly new products. So we're going to roll out like uh, this research assistant, which we think is going to be a complete game changer for students everywhere, um, professionals everywhere. And it'll just, you know, the 50 tabs you have open on Google uh, when you're doing research for a project is going to be condensed down into a single interface that uh, sits in your work processor. So um, uh, really thinking about like pet projects like that and, and working with our engineering team and our uh, user experience team to, to um, you know, visualize the product and build it and then eventually market it as well. Wow. So this research tool, can you elaborate a little bit more? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, normally I wouldn't, but it's going to be out oh. fairly soon. So okay, good, good. Well, yeah, that's why I was like, oh, I don't know if you can share, but uh, it sounded so interesting from what you were saying right now. So. Uh, basically, you'll have a word processor and uh, the research assistant will read um, your prompt and, and uh, read content on your word processor. And they'll start sourcing contextually relevant articles for you directly uh, in, your, uh, in a right-hand panel. Then it'll summarize the articles so you don't have to read the entire thing before uh, you know if it's relevant to your topic. Um, it'll pull out all the key statistics and factoids 
So with a single click, you can provide supporting evidence for your points and it'll automatically cite it for you too. So you never have to think about a citation again and it'll just uh, build this living works cited page. And uh, so, so you can sort of think about a student's workflow where they might have an outline and they're starting to fill in the outline with you know body paragraphs and arguments and things like that. And uh, it'll just make it uh, very rapid fire to do the you know surrounding research and, and to fill out your outline into a full you know full essay. Wow! So that's mind-boggling to me because I went to U of I as well, but two decades before you went. So we still had like the Dewey Decimal System. We had to go to the library. Now, uh, have you had any pushback from like educators, things of that nature that this might be like almost cheating or like it's it's too helpful making the students like not think or use their brains more because you guys are creating this artificial intelligence? Yeah, um, our sort of goal is to actually uh, try to augment and automate as much of the mundane tasks of writing as we can. So, uh, for example, generating a citation, um, I, I, I don't think that uh, improves a student's critical thinking in any capacity. And, and um, like you sort of mentioned, the Dewey Decimal System, like shifting through like 50 books, you know, uh, trying to figure out where the book is in the library, uh, you know, I, I think that actually. Uh, cannibalizes the enjoyment of writing for students and, and it makes it more painful. And so um, they, they really try to get out of it and, and they don't really put in the effort. But if you alleviate a lot of those pain points, uh, you can free up the student to just uh, engage in critical thinking and argument construction um, and actually learn the topic in more detail, which uh, I, I think can enable them to, to pursue a writing career in, in, uh, for, uh, in a lot of contexts um, that may not have even been something they would consider because the task was just so painful earlier. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So you're saying it's more like using a calculator or where it kind of takes away like long form division or those types of things. Uh, okay. Huh, that's that's an interesting way to look okay. at it. So, uh, what uh, what would you say like motivated this particular product? I know you guys had mentioned like um, you know that you guys weren't great writers, so uh, this is an avenue. But like, how did it kind of get started? Um, were there other things that you guys were thinking about before you started Quillbot? Like, um, yeah, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, at, as like a young founder who really wanted to pursue startups, uh, I, I was looking for something that I was passionate about and uh, uh, that would often gain market traction. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, Quillbot really hit those. Um, but prior, I was, I was really just like experimenting with a lot of different products. My co-founder was experimenting with a lot of different products too. Um, he was trying to build an AI that could generate multiple choice questions from textbooks uh, automatically. And uh, so, so uh, that wasn't sticking too well. Um, the AI was pretty challenging to build. And 
uh, yeah, Bobot just seemed to work well. And we were both very passionate about education. You know, I, I, I really, um, I really believe in the democratization of education, like online school, things like that. Um, uh, the sort of new way to personalize learning that AI is actually enabling where, uh, instead, you know, uh, an AI can actually sit with a, with a student and, and really understand um, the needs of that particular student instead of like a class of like 40 people, you know, and, and uh, enable the student to learn at their own pace and, and with like real time feedback. And, and I think, um, you know, Copa in many ways is uh, along the same thing here. So, um, yeah, it was a passion mission for us, you know. Yeah. So, um, were you always like a good student? Like, because it seems like, you're trying to disrupt the educational system in the way that it's structured. And I also, uh, you know, when I was growing up, it was like, Hey, go to school, get good grades, go to university, get a good job. And now I'm doing nothing that was related to my schoolwork and such. So like, what are your thoughts on just like, education in general, like, and how it, it, it might be able to be improved upon or. Yeah. Um, so I, I was always a pretty good student, um, despite like trying to get out of homework as much as I could. Um, I, I enjoyed having to pass a test that forced me to learn the source material. Like now I very much appreciate most of the classes that actually uh, learned the material of like psychology and history and, and uh, things like that. Um, I think education just has a lot of hoops that you have to jump through now. And I think that actually really hurts uh, the core mission, which is to teach the students. And I, I think um, it really puts a lot of students off from a particular course or from um, uh, learning in general when, they, when they're forced to uh, do work that they may view as like one day, especially if they've already learned the material. Uh, I, I think uh, oftentimes they, they feel like just a number in the system as well. Uh, and, and I think that the technology has certainly caught up to the point where we can, uh, as a society, provide uh, very granular education to students that meet their interests, that meet their skill levels. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, for example, we learned NLP. I, I, I took a few NLP classes at school, but I really learned NLP online for free through YouTube via the Stanford lecture from arguably some of the best professors in the world. I learned at my own pace, you know, um, and and uh, it was far better than um, the classes I had at U of I. And I, I just think that, you know, um, that will never be fully, and not that it's relevant anymore, but that will never be like accounted for in my resume, if that makes sense, you know? Um, I, I, I would not have gotten course credit for taking that. Um, and I think I think just shifting to those like sort of online classes um, or at least supplementing online classes with in-person uh, instruction, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think that can really be a game changer for a lot of students and how they even perceive education in their future careers. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I feel like YouTube 
should be YouTube University. You can learn pretty much anything that you want to learn on there. Um, so I'm interested, like, uh, with your company in particular, then what are some of the things that you look for when trying to bring people on? Because, you know, yeah. resume, I would imagine is still a pretty big factor, but do you guys then do more like skill-based interviews or uh, what's the process in terms of joining Quillbot? Yeah, um, to be honest, uh, I don't really read resumes a ton. Uh, you know, wow. I, okay. <laughs> I uh, very much uh, uh, enjoy just interviewing people directly and getting a sense for um, their skill levels. Uh, I don't factor in, you know, there's certain educational criteria that I'll factor in, for example, like um, our business development specialist has a PhD in geology, and that's not relevant uh, to her job role as um, as a business development specialist, but I think it really illustrates her capacity to um, learn complex material, to articulate complex material. Um, it shows great you know, and, and uh, I, I think those are all skills that we certainly value as an organization. Um, but, you know, like most organizations, we're looking to hire just, you know, very smart people, people with strong communication skills, depending on um, particular roles. Uh, you know, things I like to do in interviews is, is see if someone can explain a complex uh, concept to me as if I was in middle school or as in uh, if I was in high school. And I think that, um, it illustrates uh, breadth of skills, you know, and, and um, yeah, yeah, things like that. Awesome. So do you think the traditional way of school and university helps with that in any way? Do you think that that's more of like a natural skill that people are born with? Like, can you learn it? Uh, yeah, because... I, I agree with you. Like when I interview people now, I want to get a feel for them, how they think, how they process stuff. But like, where's that balance of, um, I guess, education versus just um, them showing the skill and or drive to succeed? Yeah, I think a lot of it is learnable. Um, you know, I think individuals are predefined predisposed to, you know, certain traits and um, um, they're naturally inclined to uh, certain tasks or um, certain, you know, like like certain folks are born engineers, for example. Uh -huh. and, um, but I, I think a lot is very learnable. That doesn't necessarily mean the school system is efficient at learning it. You know, uh, I, I, I think uh, you can take a class and spend a whole semester in a class and potentially condense that down to like a month of learning, you know, and, and I think um, when students are sort of forced into that structure and they're, uh, and, and they see the inefficiency in the school system, you know, uh, oftentimes it feels like very frustrating, you know, like they're like, why am I here? Like spending all of this time learning something I can learn uh, far quicker or um, on the opposite side, if the class is like too challenging or if they're not getting the proper support they need in, in the class, you know, um, uh, that's also extremely frustrating too. And, 
And so, uh, yeah, I think there's just many structural things that can happen in the school system to you know, make it more efficient and, and uh, more personalized. And I, I think it's going in that direction, especially like with COVID. I think a lot of people are seeing um, how much they can learn online and exactly what the benefits are of in-person instruction or like uh, working, you know, interacting with people socially in a school environment too. And um, I think that will inform a lot of decisions going forward uh, for universities. Interesting. Yeah, no, that uh, that totally makes sense. And uh, I'm seeing that with my own children as well. And uh, just seeing them um, gravitate towards things that they want to learn. The only thing is, is like, I feel like at their age, they don't have necessarily the discipline or the drive. Like, were you always born with like a, a drive to build something or create something? Um, or do you think that that's something that you learn from repetition or kind of being dragged along for the beginning portion of it? I think I, I was always inclined to build stuff, um, very much so. But what I can say, especially like in high school, early high school, freshman, sophomore year, uh, me building stuff on the side certainly came at the cost of my grades. and. <laughs> My teachers and uh, my parents alike were not particularly happy about that. Um, and I just have no regrets whatsoever, <laughs> you know, um, uh, spending that time and at, at the cost of um, uh, the structured educa education I was receiving at school um, and like foregoing uh, my Spanish homework or, you know, working on a website or something like that. So. So I feel like a, a lot of the younger people that I talk to or that I mentor or that ask me for advice always, that's one of their biggest hurdles is like, oh, you know what? I don't want to disappoint my parents. I don't want to disappoint my teachers. Like, how did you overcome that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think my parents were always... Um, it was kind of a balance of trying to be as supportive as they could, you know, uh -huh. while uh, trying to guide me in, in um, whatever way they saw, they saw fit. Uh, I, I think this like particularly clicked for me in, in college, but it, it's just really ownership of your own life and that like your parents can't live your life for you. And, um, you know, my mom, uh, you know, always felt that, I was making trade-off decisions without under, like fully understanding both sides of it, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, getting the C in, in uh, training. Um, well, that's going to affect your college, but, you know, you're spending the time, like, building, learning how to program or something like that. Um, but especially in college, uh, it, it really clicked that, like, I actually understand <laughs> the trade-offs and, and um, my sort of value judgments here are a little different from you or different from my teachers or whatever. And, and I'm sort of comfortable with the decisions I'm making because I have ownership over, over my life and I'm, you know, going to have to deal with the consequences and I acknowledge that. Um, but I, I, I think that is also a really motivating force because it, it um, you start to feel a lot of just control over your life and and acknowledge that you're the only one who can really make the differences that you want to see in your life, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I actually want to revisit that. So you said something, ownership of your own life. I think that that's such an important lesson for people of all age, but definitely younger people to really take in is like, 
you know what? It's your life. Of course, everyone has helped you. But at the end of the day, you have to take ownership for your life. You get one life to live. It's pretty short. You don't want to waste it on things that you're not passionate about. And so it's so great to hear from somebody who has done that and gone that path and seen success from being passionate about something because there's so many people I feel like that don't follow their passion because they're afraid of peer pressure or afraid of failure or things of that nature. Um, so when you guys were starting out, was there any fear of failure or was it just like, Oh my gosh, we're just so ingrained. Yeah. yeah fear of failure is uh, very interesting. I think like that, um, I think fear of failure is probably one of the biggest things that prevents people from doing anything like worthwhile. Because uh, sort of by definition, if, if you're like uh, starting a task that you don't know if you're going to succeed or not, um, I guess sort of implied is, is there's some degree of personal growth that uh, you need to undergo to get to the level where you can actually succeed at that task, you know, and, and, uh, I think that's uncomfortable for people and, and um, you know, people who fail. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's necessary for any sort of growth that you're going to undergo, you know, and, and uh, really getting over that, I think is important as well. Uh, yeah, we, we failed a lot. You know? <laughs> uh, we, we failed quite a bit. Um, and, and there's like, just inherent in startups there's a lot of anxiety that that goes and uncertainty that goes into um uh, really taking a bet on certain decisions business decisions that could um uh be make or break for your company um but the other half of it that i i find pretty amusing at this point is uh that we had a lot of just signals from people who don't even matter that we were going to fail, <laughs> you know, like, um, like potential, uh, for example, we, a couple of accelerators turned us down, you know, at, at critical moments in the company and, and it, it was really heartbreaking for us. But, um, in hindsight, I'm like glad we didn't, you know, go, go to those accelerators and give up a chunk of like our company, um, and, and it forced us to, you know, keep building and keep our heads down and, and be scrappy really. And, um, and yeah, sometimes these external signals don't even matter because, like, you and I think we were actually fortunate. If you if you look at the growth of the company, it was a pretty exponential curve, like from beginning to to now. And uh, more than fifty percent of the time, we thought we were going to fail. <laughs> yeah. Wow, really? Because yeah, you see it, your growth uh, uh, over this short period of time. It's been so amazing that I would think like, oh, we had no doubt. But uh, how did you guys overcome that fear of failure that so many people kind of deal with? And you mentioned as well as like probably one of the biggest hindrances of people actually trying to achieve anything great in life. So. Yeah, um, I don't I, I, I wish you could answer that in like a clear, actionable way. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was really uh, you just need to internalize uh, the situation that you're in and, and appreciate it as, as like a journey. I think, um, being young helps, uh, in the sense that we didn't have like too much to lose. Like we, we knew that we 
they had the skill sets to go on and get like jobs if we needed to. Um, um, there was a lot of some costs that went to the company, but I personally felt that uh, I never felt like we weren't learning. Like you know, I I, I knew through from day one um, that I was learning something new every day, and that uh, it's all of those skills would be applicable in whatever career I chose. Uh, and, and I think that really helps. And I think framing it uh, in the lens of building your own like human capital, uh, I, I think can help overcome some of those anxieties. But you know, I, I think it's also sort of baked into being a startup founder. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I feel like a lot of people don't understand the roller coaster it is to be a startup or to start any type of business or to be an entrepreneur. People just see kind of the end product and they don't know the ups and downs journeys. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, was there a moment throughout this process where you guys were like, hey, this might actually be a thing or <laughs> we've made it. Uh, like yeah. when was that moment for you guys? It, it, it's like every other day. So, so one day we're going to fail. The next day uh, we're going to be a unicorn. The next day it's like we're going to fail. Uh -huh. and, um, it's really like, it's really just a, like a roller coaster analogy is probably the best analogy um, yeah. for the emotional state of any founder. And every single founder I've talked to has, has experienced the same thing. And even if all of the external signals are pointing in the right direction, um, uh, you know, there's still there's just like systematic risk in, in running a company. You know, you don't know if the next day, oh, Google's going to release the same exact product. <laughs> you never know. So. Yeah. No. I mean, and that's crazy to hear for a company that has had such great growth, and you guys got that funding earlier this year, and to the outside person they're like oh my gosh look at how successful but yes as the person that is helping navigate this uh process i would imagine you're you're constantly going through those ups and downs of emotions and things like that but you guys are doing just such an amazing job like um uh, and you said earlier like being younger helps that you don't have as many things to kind of lose and that's one of my big regrets is not taking bigger chances when i was younger uh, because of fear of failure or expectations of loved ones it's not even necessarily people that are just haters it's like you don't want to disappoint the people that are close to you that and so what you said about taking ultimately ownership of your own life, you know, understanding that these people are here that love and care for you. But at the end of the day, your happiness is in your own hands and your destiny's in your own hands. So that was such great advice by you. And I hope the younger listeners hear that and understand that like, you're gonna go through ups and downs no matter what you do. But if you wanna do something amazing or, life-changing you're gonna have to grow yourself or uh, if you already know what the end result is that's usually not a big risk that you're taking and so kudos to you guys for doing that um so for like a younger 
person that is interested in maybe going the route that you guys have went or starting their own business or things of that nature. What do you think are things that like entrepreneurs starting out should focus on more so because it's not necessarily schoolwork. So then what do you think like uh, would yeah. be good to focus on? They, they need to find stuff that they're passionate about. You know, I, I think that's the number one thing. I, I cannot even imagine someone um, doing a startup that they're not inherently passionate about. Uh, and it's just going to make the entire process way, way more painful, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, it depends on the sort of uh, role you are as a founder. So I, I think there's some different, you know, kind of stereotypical founders. Um, but I, I think being uh, interdisciplinary is, like, very helpful. Um, being able to sort of straddle, like, uh, some of the business skills and some of the technical skills. Um I think at the end of the day, you need to really hone in your intuition as well. And, and I think that just comes from experience. And um, I personally, and I know my co-founders did as well. And we had a lot of uh, experience um, like building, like my co-founder uh, built these like flash games. I, I built a lot of web utilities and, and websites and um, um, sold some like small products online, things like that. And uh, I think that gives you a ton of uh, a ton of just like valuable experience, um, you know, and and, um, and that that allows you to trust your intuition over time too. And I think ultimately that's the biggest thing for a founder is that, uh, especially if you're working on a disruptive startup, um, you need to trust your intuition over uh, what you know the incumbents are saying in in that market. Um, so yeah, it's trusting yourself as well. Yeah. No, I, I, so you mentioned like being passionate about something. I feel like that is the biggest indicator of what you should be doing in life is what you're passionate about. Like everyone is so different and everyone has different passions, but it's ingrained in you for a reason. It's because you're supposed to do something with it. But I feel like people are always like, chasing the wrong things like you're chasing money security status and it's like you can actually not that those are the most important things but you can have those things chasing something that you're actually passionate about but if you have no passion about what you're chasing it, it's just going to be a grind and so yeah i thought that that was awesome the interdisciplinary in, interdiscipline is so important as well. And that's something that I'm working on even now to this day. Um, so the, yeah, those were great tips. Uh, what do you guys, what would you say is like the culture for your company right now? What are you guys trying to have be like kind of your core factors for your company? I think we're still figuring it out because we've grown so rapidly from just <laughs> yeah. owners to 25 heads and like, nine months you know? <laughs> uh, uh, I think uh, as a personality of all the founders like we're very cheeky type kind of people you know um, uh -huh. uh, we like to be just like a little provocative you know the right amount of provocative um, uh, and uh, make a joke out of things as well um, so 
So I, I, I want to maintain that culture, you know, going forward and, and um, indefinitely as well. Uh, I think we all appreciate innovation and being thoughtful um, and, and bouncing ideas off of uh, everyone and uh, meritocracy and, and, you know, the, those transparency and honesty. You know, I, I think those are all um, going to be core cultural tenets of, of our uh, company. So. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, because I would imagine in the field that you are in uh, being kind of a disruptor that you're going to have some naysayers, you're going to have opposing views and things like that. How do you guys like deal with it? How do you like not listen to all the noise? Like, are you guys just inherently good at just like blocking everything out, do you think? Or because I would imagine there's got to be a decent number of naysayers, uh, older people, edu- uh, you know, traditional education, all of these types of things. So, I love the naysayers. They're the best part. Um, it's, it's just so much fun to prove them wrong. <laughs> and and uh, it helps drive you, I think. Um, not as much as like passion and other stuff, but uh, it's certainly... It's certainly um, a chip on your shoulder. Certainly helps, you know. Uh, and and uh, you know when it gets really tough and and you sort of want to give up, um, I think that that might that marginal difference might just like push you over that. And she's like, I can't, I can't let them be right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's actually helpful. Um, I, I think it also uh, forces you to think critically about what you're actually doing. Um, because even if, like, right off the bat, before they start speaking, you're like, no, like, this person's going to be wrong. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you, like, sit down and, like, you actually uh, think about what they said and, and you uh, hone your arguments or hone, uh, you know, slightly deviate your path a little bit to account for what they've said, you know. And I, I think that uh, uh, that's really healthy for, for companies, you know. You know what? That's that's incredible awareness on your part. First, yes, I agree. Naysayers do help. Uh, it does help to have haters. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want haters. But it's like it really does drive and motivate you to. I don't know if it's the competitiveness in us or what, but you're like, no, I'm not going to let you be right. But uh, the other thing that you said about that, which was really um, insightful was that you still will hear what they have to say. It's not like you completely dismiss them and are like, no, you're completely wrong. But you're like, okay, well, let me see why they have the thoughts that they have. And is any of it valid? And how can I then tailor maybe what I'm thinking based upon their input even if I don't necessarily agree with it. I think that's one of the greatest attributes that is lacking right now is people are just so fixated on their own agenda and like just what they're thinking is and everyone else is wrong. So to hear you say like, you know what, even though I don't like it and it motivates me, I'm still going to listen and analyze and see how either it I can tweak something or at least explain to them my point of view better based upon what they said. 
I think that that's so important for anyone that's trying to grow a business or just grow themselves is like, it, no one's 100% right and no one's 100% wrong at usually. I, I guess there are, might be some people that are 100% wrong sometimes, but my wife always tells me I'm always 100% wrong. So, but uh, yeah, that was super insightful, man. I That's incredible. So I love that. Um, what do you do when you're uh, not working? Are you working all the time? Like uh, what other interests do you have? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I love movies. Uh, I like reading, um, you know, spending time with friends and uh, family as well, board games, things like that. You know, I like playing basketball. So, um, yeah, just like usually normal stuff, video games. So, <laughs> uh, I think um, the starting stuff is probably the most uh, unique thing in my life. Everything else is kind of cliche. Yeah. Yeah. But that's great, man. Yeah. You need that balance and such. Um, so for example, my children, they, I'm not sure what they're passionate about. And so I feel like I have to kind of push them along, but I know my son, for example, is very passionate about playing video games. Like you just mentioned. And, uh, I, I think he's pretty good at it, but, uh, you know, the Asian parent in me is like, ah, I, I feel like that's a waste of time. Um, how would you, is there anything that you're like, ah, you know what, that's actually maybe not the best use of your time or like, how would you navigate some, a situation like that where maybe you're like, eh, this is not the best use of your time or your passion might not be beneficial for you in the future that's a very complex question <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah i'm sorry i just uh, i thought of it because you had mentioned the video game thing and it's more my own life problem that i'm trying to get an answer from but i i uh, i also don't have kids so i i this you know i could be very hypocritical in, in 20 years and like not <laughs> say um uh, i think it also depends on um, how you sort of view life, you know, because a lot of people view life as, as like a journey and um, that's like a summation of, of your experiences, you know, and if you're spending um, most of your life doing something that you just genuinely don't enjoy. Uh, and I, I think um, childhood is like precious for most people and, and um, that's certainly like in my life the only time where I was like legitimately carefree you know uh, I, I think you can potentially if you are very discouraging of, of activity, like video games or activities that your kids like genuinely love um, you can take away important memories and experiences from that um, so I, I, I think uh, that's important to know um, I, I think everything is sort of like a balance as well. So if they're spending literally all of their time nonstop instead of going to school, like, you know, they're like, in, like actually addicted to video games. Um, uh, I think that's also problematic. And I, I, I think it's healthy to encourage your kids to explore different um, outlets and, and uh, recreational activities. And I think if you find your kids aren't particularly passionate about anything, um, that can be a function of just how much activities they've actually explored, you know, and, and um, th there's something about being the helicopter parent and like forcing your kid to like be a violinist or, or something like that, that 
and, and if your kid like has a lot of pushback after like year one, it's like, I really do not play the violin, you know, um, and still forcing them to be a violinist. I think that's uh, also an extreme, but encouraging them to try the violin, try like the playing drums and maybe music's not their thing, try sports, try programming, try video games, try art, you know, there's so many things um in life that they can do of course i, I can like go on you know and and uh, uh i find it hard to believe i mean i don't know but i find it hard to believe that uh, a kid enjoys some of those things and and uh that a kid has tried all of those things as well right and and to really say that you're like unable to be passionate about something you both of those things have to be true you know uh so yeah. yeah yeah no that yeah that's great insight actually that's helpful for me and i've you know i've heard gary v also talk about it amongst uh young people it's like try as many things as you can uh, don't think like this one thing is it if you try enough things you're going to find your calling you're going to find what you're passionate about if you haven't found it it's probably because you haven't tried enough things already so um no that was a great answer man i appreciate that and that's going to help me try to be a better parent as well so that's awesome um uh, you know i know i want to be very respectful of your time because i know you're busy and so um can you tell people where they can find more information about quillbot uh and just share a little bit about that please yeah um, you can uh, go ahead to quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. You can try our tools for free. Um, you can be a premium subscriber if you like. You get some additional uh, benefits uh, and, and the tool becomes a little better. Uh, and, you know, just for this podcast only, you can get a free month. Uh, if you go and, and uh, in the contact form, just say, you know, sent you. Um, it'll make sure you get a month of free premium. Thank you so much, Rohan, for doing that. I'm sure our listeners will be super excited to test out your uh, program. And uh, it seems like you guys are doing amazing things. We can't wait for that research uh, assistant to come out. Is there a time at which that's going to be coming out? Hopefully uh, early next year. So, early next year. Okay. Like, uh, so January. please, yes, everybody look out for that. And uh, quillbot.com. We'll have the link in our show notes. Also, please, please check out the website. They're doing amazing things. I know so many people have already expressed through reviews and such how life-changing it's been for them to be able to communicate their message clearly when they felt like you know, it's been a source of struggle or frustration for them. This tool has really helped alleviate that barrier. So you guys are doing incredible things, Rohan. If people want to connect with you, uh, is LinkedIn the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. So, yes, remember Rohan Gupta, G-U-P-T-A. He's on LinkedIn. You can also... Uh, email him if you have any questions uh, but probably linkedin would be the best uh best way to do that and remember if you uh comment below or leave a comment on this podcast um please and then if you guys are interested in signing up just mention the chicago business review or myself 
And uh, Rohan is nice enough to offer you guys up a free month of premium service. So you would be foolish not to take that, uh, take that offer. Rohan, thank you so much for your time, for sharing, and uh, for doing amazing things, man. I'm so proud to uh, be more of an acquaintance and i feel like we've built a relationship and i'm so looking forward to seeing all of the amazing things that you and your co-founder and quillbot are going to be doing in the years and we'll definitely be supporters and rooting you guys on so thanks so much again rohan i really appreciate it and uh everybody please make sure you check it out quillbot.com q-u-i-l-l-b-o-t.com Check out the software. They have the free version, so you can just mess around with it. And you, once you mess around with it, you will for sure sign up for their premium service. So mention the Chicago Business Review or myself for the free one month of service. And if we could ever be of assistance to you, reach out to us. You can uh, reach out to Rohan on LinkedIn. And uh, please just leave a comment. If you know anybody who is looking for this type of technology, share the podcast, share the link. Uh, we would really appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait to see all of the amazing things that you guys are going to do, Rohan. So thanks again for uh, being a guest on the show this week. Yeah, thank you. Yon. Have a great day. And uh, everybody, thanks so much for watching and listening. If you found value in this, if you could please comment, like, subscribe, share, uh, it really helps us to connect you with amazing entrepreneurs and people that are doing amazing things like Rohan here. So thanks again, everybody. We will catch you next time on the Chicago Business Review. Thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. I truly respect your time, so I hope this was valuable to you. And if you're a new listener, then thank you for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes on our Facebook group, Chicago Business Review. Just go to Facebook and search Chicago Business Review so that you can find out all the latest info on future podcasts, get all the show notes, and network with other highly successful and driven entrepreneurs and professionals in Chicago. Also, be sure to contact me while you're over there and share any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations you have as well. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.